All right, welcome back to another edition of Sports Reports as Ordered. Mike Wilson in the house on Instagram at MLW25, on Twitter at 2-Bit Reports. Collectively, we're on Instagram, Sports Reports as Ordered. I got Raphael Rutley here with me. Y'all know that. He's in the building. We ready to talk today. What's up, Raph? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're in the building. Like I said, we had a good little pre-game, pre-meeting, pre-show session here. It's going to be a good one. Like I said, I want to shout out everybody who's been sharing the, the podcast everywhere. Shout out to my Aunt Jennifer, who shared it on Facebook. I appreciate the love. That's one, you know, every week I want to give somebody a shout out. I want to give a shout out to my, my Aunt Jennifer. Thank you. Yeah, and for all, and for those of you not in the know, besides YouTube, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Ashburn, San Antonio, and San Jose. You've been holding us down for this little bit of time that we've been doing this. So, you know, thank you, everybody that's been tuning in and loving it. So if you can, please like and subscribe for us. You know, today we have a full action-packed show for you. We're going to start off with Pac-12 expansion. And is the Pac-12 delaying the inevitable and dying a slow death? We're going to talk about referees because that seems to be a hot topic out here in these streets. We're going to talk about refs and their impact on games. We're going to talk about the NBA last two-minute report. We're going to transition into NBA All-Star game voting. You know, I got a feeling that at least one of us don't like it and don't feel the way that they're doing things. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame in general. We might talk some baseball. We might talk some football. You know, I don't even want to touch basketball Hall of Fame because that's a everybody gets in participation trophy Hall of Fame. So, I mean, I might already said too much. Yeah. And then finally. You ball you in the hall, baby. Yeah. And then finally, you know, my favorite part of the week, getting something off of our chest. So, you know, we're going to start out with this. So, Raph, I was looking last week on cbssports.com and there was an article shared talking about how it's time for the Pac-12 to go grab San Diego State you know and I don't know if San Diego State is a savior or anything but the Pac-12 has to bring back Southern California right losing USC UCLA you gotta lock in another team that can move the needle the problem with the expansion in college football is that a lot of the fringe Power Five conferences, because most of the Mid America conferences, if you look at the Mid America Conference, conference, you would say the independents, ACC is basically pretty much intact. The Big 12 is basically geographically and regionally intact. The schools that are grabbing at the money are, a lot of those schools are just kind of riding the coattails of their top successful programs. Big 10 is trying to pull in every power team that they can because they're riding on the coattails of Ohio State and Michigan, basically carrying them for the last decade of any real competitive edge. Michigan State had their blurt, um, but they got blown out in the playoff. But for the most part, you had your Michigan's or Ohio State carrying the flag. SEC is locked in there. I don't think they need to bring anybody else in. The Pac-12 has been one of those conferences where they have the Rose Bowl. It's in Pasadena. Granddaddy of them all. It's a big deal. And they they have that acclaim. But they're going to start slowly losing that. Because if you can't keep a, a blue blood like USC or UCLA, I mean, it's, they're iconic. Their uniforms are iconic. 
I mean, Jackie Robson. Like, I mean, like, I mean, you're talking about, like, Icon, you got OJ, Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, uh, you got Marcus Allen, you got Pete Carroll. I mean, you just, you just have so much legacy that comes out of USC. Troy Palomalu. I mean, you have just Carson Powell. I mean, you can keep going on and on. Heisman Trophy, Keyshawn Johnson. Like, you have so many people. I mean, you got Chip Kelly. He's like, he's like a little, you know, young icon coming up as far as, like, uh, coaches. So you have all these personalities. That drives your viewership. That drives why people will – a lot of people are streaming games right now. So if I can, on a Saturday, open up a stream and click college football, I want to watch either the coach personality on the field or the coach being able to put the team together on the field, i.e. what Nick Saban, Curry Small, all these guys can do. So the Pac-12, I'm not sure if they have those personalities. And I think if you can't get the personalities, you've got to lock down the region. If you can lock down the region, then you'll always have the people in that region. I'm not sure the last time the Texas Longhorns have really been good, have really been a threat for national championship contention. Maybe when Colt McCoy got hit in the shoulder by Darius against Alabama, I think that was the last time that they were in it and really in contention throughout the season. But it's Texas football. So they're always going to have that cachet because that region loves football. California, like I said, we've talked about this before, Florida, Texas, California, top high school talent comes out of those three states. you got to be able to keep the schools in that state and elevate them, say, hey, we're Pac-12, you want to come up here with us, and then get the TV networks to come in and buy into this, oh, we're still locking down Southern California, third most populated state in the union, you know, keeps following this money. And so I think it's it's a good look. It's a good attempt because you are losing to like banner um, organizations out of your conference. So you have to do something. I think that that's probably a wise move. And see, and the crazy part about that is, you know, UCLA, for example, I'll, let's focus on them for a second. They haven't shared or won the Pac-12 in football since 1998. So from a competitive standpoint, you're not losing that much, but you're losing those eyeballs because, you know, L.A. is the second biggest market in the country. So you're bringing in San Diego State potentially, which is the number 27 media market, but it brings you back into California, the Southern California region to give you access to recruits that you may lose out on once UCLA and USC leaves. But I don't know if that's enough. So I started looking around and I thought about UNLV you know, who isn't worthy as a football program by any means, but I still hold on to my memories of Larry Johnson and Stacey Ogman, Anderson Hunt, Greg Anderson in the gang. Yeah, you know, that's the number 40 media market. So just from an eyeball standpoint, still having that inward Southern California, you know, network, you know, UCL, I mean, I'm sorry, UNLV, go play at the Raider Stadium maybe you know, have like some influence that way and bring in more seats, more money at the gate, you know, that type of thing. Because when I'm looking at the Pac-12 map, I don't know how many people listening to this show could point out Corvallis on the map. I don't know how many people could pull out Pullman. You know, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I said the word Palouse or Palouse, and you were like, what? You know, so... What are you talking about? 
So they need to get eyeballs. So I was thinking about Boise State, right? And I said, hey, they got football pedigree. They come with a semblance of recent history and success. But Boise's the number 101 media market. And when I knew know about the Pac-12 is Stanford and Cal, if nothing else, they're a bunch of academic snobs. So they don't view a school like Boise State on their level or necessarily want to be associated with them, even if it means their survival. Because I think Stanford, for example, is holding out hope that Notre Dame eventually says yes to the Big Ten and they get to come along for the ride because they got a rivalry with Notre Dame. But then you got Albuquerque out here, the number 49. I was shocked by that, the number 49 market in the country. But are the New Mexico Lobos going to move anything? You know, so like basketball doesn't drive the bus. But looking at it from a basketball standpoint, Arizona is really the only school that the Pac-12 would have that has that type of recognizable brand from a basketball standpoint. So San Diego State helps out with that. They have a good basketball team currently ranked number 22, about to play Nevada in a few minutes. So they got that going for them at least. But looking at the surrounding states, you're going to grab Air Force? You know, like uh, Colorado State, you already have Colorado. So if Colorado does move to the Big 12, is Colorado State worth replacing Colorado? But Colorado's move to the Big 12 will be probably associated with the this precursor demise that we're talking about as far as the Pac-12. Because you said that LA is the number, number two media market, but it's probably the number one football market because I think the number one market is New York. Mm-hmm. New York's not a big college football market. So LA is the biggest mm-hmm. college football market as far as of all the cities. Unfortunately, the icon status of USC, I mean, UCLA, look look at the uniforms. Like, the uniforms just pop. That baby blue with the gold, it just pops on TV now with 4K and 8K and all these resolutions, refresh rates. It just pops on TV, and you can sell that to recruits, and you can basically just pluck, you know, so much of the California talent, and they're only playing against these Midwestern teams. You know, you got UCLA playing Indiana, Iowa, you know, and they're they're playing Penn State and like that's the big game. And every once in a while, maybe I, they might alternate Penn State will play and Happy Valley will play out in uh, Pasadena. Pac-12 just has to lock in whatever contract, whatever their contract is right now. They got to lock in it for like 10 years. Well, and- well, the thing is that contract much as they can, because if they lock it in now for 10 years at whatever billions, $10 billion, if they like, if that's the number, I think Mike, I think Mike's going to go over the numbers, but if they have to lock it in now. Mm-hmm. I can see Colorado and prime getting better each year and deciding that Pac-12 isn't getting a fair shot in the college football playoff that's going to probably kick off with 2024, 2025. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 is only maybe getting one team in. Big 12 is getting two. SEC is getting three, maybe four. I can see a school like Colorado wanting to go to the Big 12. Utah plays this newfound rivalry game against, shout out to the youth, against Colorado. They beat them every year. But if they start getting a little buzz, and the Pac-12 starts to fall by the wayside, well, 
Utah going to the Pac-12 makes the same sense for them because as far as recruiting, Utah recruits junior colleges, a lot of those in the, in the Midwest. They recruit Texas and they recruit Florida. A little bit of California. So it's not like they're losing the odds of their recruits if they go to the Big 12 because they're just basically playing closer to where they recruit from. Like I said, they get a lot of players out of Texas. A lot of three-star guys out of Texas, a lot of JUCO guys out of Texas and Kansas, places like that. So they'll look at it like, well, the Pac-12 is dying. We got this 12-team college football playoff mm-hmm. starting to shift to of this Power 5 setup. Only four of the Power 5 are really showing a powerful impact and a powerful impression on the committee. Why are we still out here trying to keep Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State alive in the playoffs when it's like they're not doing us any good. They're not they're not winning big games. They're not playing big games. We can play a couple of games against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, win that out. Now you're 11 at the end of the year. You're playing for a national championship or you stay in the Pac-12 and maybe you keep the Rose Bowl and you play a 9-3 and three Indiana because Penn State – Michigan and Ohio State are holding the Coswell playoff 12. Right. And you're right. in the play, you know, Indiana. Like, who is Indiana filling the Pasadena Stadium? No. Oh. So I think I think it's, it's a domino effect. And if the Pac-12 is smart, they maximize whatever money they can get out of it. But the writing's on the wall. It's gonna be a situation where it's gonna have to. It's gonna go away. You don't have enough. Oregon can't be it. It's too far away. All the games come on too late to play on these. People aren't people aren't going to tune in 10:30 at night for an Oregon versus Stanford game. If Stanford is two and seven, because they pretty pretty much given up on football because they're academic and their endowment money is so good they don't really need the football money. And then you have the TV money coming in, so like whatever we can go two and nine and make 50 million dollars this year. So. And see, and that's why I wanted to look at the markets because, you know, using the Big Ten as a comparison because they're the other side of the academic snob, you know, equation. So looking at them, you know, they have Chicago, you know, they have D.C., they have Baltimore, Jersey, they're getting L.A. now, you know, maybe Penn State carries Philly. So already the Big Ten has nationalized to the standpoint of having the biggest markets, you know. So when I'm looking at the Pac-12 I think what's out there. So I mentioned the few schools like Boise, New Mexico, so on and so forth. So maybe, maybe you have to go out on that island and get a school like SMU, who's the fifth biggest market in Dallas. You know, maybe you pull in San Antonio, who's only the number 31 market, but they we have 1.4 million people here. So, you know, you're pulling in eyeballs. But at the end of the day, I think the problem is college football used to be so regional where everything was rivalry-based and everything was just clustered together. But now that we're national, the West Coast doesn't have all these schools to pull from. You know, like you're looking at what your Portland states and Sacramento states and Montana's that are FCS right now. So they have to go Eastern to be able to to fill a whole day of college football. And that's where the Big Ten was smart because you could have Maryland and Penn State in your opening noon window you know, you have Iowa State and Michigan, you know, I mean, Iowa and Michigan in your 330 window, 
you know, you got Ohio State and whoever in your seven o'clock window, and now you got that 1030 window with UCLA or or USC. So they have to pull from somewhere probably to have that West Coast market because USC and UCLA, I'm sure, aren't going to be trying to travel to Nebraska one weekend and then Pennsylvania in two weeks without something local nearby. So you get into your Oregon and Washington. So if you're the Arizona schools, if you're Colorado and another conference calls comes calling, I mean, you kind of have to go. And I think that they're at the point where if one more school, just one, if one more school leaves. Which one? Then? Anyone. If Oregon leaves. Like if Oregon leaves, they're taking the Nike Oregon money with leaves, them. Then you, you have to make a move. Cal staying if Arizona State leaves. Hey, Seattle could be attractive to the Big Ten. You know, because the Big Ten has yep. the seven billion dollar TV deal, you know, that, you know, lasts until 2031 or whenever it is. So they can line that up. They don't have who, to make the move uh, now. They don't have who, to make the move now. Who who at what level, what NCAA board member committee says, all right, stop. Like where, where does it like like it just it does it just doesn't seem the like... NCAA is toothless and as you were telling me you know a conversation you had with your dad you know about how we're going to end up with three or four conferences at some point the NCAA can't stop it this train is moving with or without them you know and and that's where the Pac-12 schools have to start fighting for survival like if you're Oregon and uh, Washington and you're not on the phone with the Big Ten or you haven't been on the phone with the Big Ten and I'm sure they have. You know, maybe that's a 2027 call where the Big Ten's contract is coming up in three to four years or whatever the case may be. And now they're trying to stack on for that next contract. Whereas the Pac-12, you brought up the Pac-12 contract, it runs out next year. You know, so they're in the middle of this conversation with these media teams now trying to figure out where to go from here. So that's where do you grab San Diego State now, whatever the case may be. Or if I'm the Big 12. I might preemptively take San Diego State so they're not there for you, you know, because the Big 12 just expanded because they lost Texas and Oklahoma, you know, so they went out and got BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, you know. um, And from that standpoint, you lose in Texas, like you mentioned, from the prestige standpoint. But Houston's another one of those big markets where – Maybe that's a sleeping giant. I'm not saying they're going to be Texas in a few years or anything like that. But, you know, but maybe Houston becomes that team with a leg up now that they're in a conference that's worth something. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It'll be tough for the Pac-12 simply because they don't have much, like, evidence to support that they are one of the top they're still a Power Five conference in name, simply because they're the Pac-12. But once they start expanding, because I remember when Utah was going, I was like, Utah in the Pac-12? I'm like, whenever we'll see if they can, you know, get to the Rose Bowl. And they grab Colorado, and Colorado's been performing so poorly that it just it just seemed like their moves, just like most of the conference moves, like we talked about Missouri going to SEC, we talk about Nebraska going leaving the Big 12, going to Big 10. Mm-hmm. And as a school individually, they haven't had large amounts of success. You know, mm-hmm. last years, I think they haven't had winning seasons, which is like six or seven years. 
or just basically just mediocre seasons for most of the time, multiple different head coaches, you know, turn over this, turn over that, you know, things of that nature. So it's not like these teams that are going to these other big conferences are having immediate success. The problem with the Pac-12 is that even the teams are at the top, like USC and UCLA shouldn't have been able to get plucked off from your conference. The Big Ten should have been able to get Arizona first. They should have been able to plug Colorado first. But because USC and UCLA weren't performing at a high level, but they still a good name, they can get plucked out. Whereas you look at the SEC, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, they're always going to be a top performer. So anybody that joins them, like, it's cool. You guys are just icing on the cake. But we are the whole cake, whereas the Big Ten is like, listen, USC, UCLA, guys haven't had that much success. But we about to get this $9 billion. So we can break you off a little bit of it if you just come over here, bring your cachet, bring your esteem, bring your crowd, bring your fans, and join us. Or you can stay in this dying conference because if you look at it, like I said, Utah's played for the Rose Bowl last two years. Unfortunately, they lost both games. And we had Oregon with Mariota mm-hmm. for playoffs. And I believe that was Washington, the very first playoff. Washington got a run at it. That was the last time a Pac 12 school made the playoff, which was 2016. Washington. Washington. We're in 2023. And when you're losing your top two schools, your top two blue blood schools, it's going to be tough. So either they're going to have to get equally as aggressive as the people that are poaching out of their conference mm-hmm. by pulling teams in. Maybe you go get BYU. But, see, but, but is BYU going to leave? Like with the Pac-12 being so unstable and, and from what I had read before, from what I had read before, uh, the problem with BYU for the Pac-12 was the Sunday thing. You know, the Mormons and, you know, the Sabbath and they don't do athletics on Sunday. So that They're was something. Saturday Because you need that check. Yeah, that was something that came up. That was something that came up. But but this is the thing, right? Going back to the whole like, where do you it's get them like from? Hey, you open Chick Fil A on Sunday. We get it. Not me. <laughs> I mean, even though you put one in Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, they right. play on, but it's not open. But it is what it is. But but you know, but but it goes back to what we were saying though, like about who do you grab? Because looking at the SEC, if the SEC did get that itch again and wanted to grab somebody, they could go to the ACC and go grab, say, a North Carolina and Virginia Tech. They can pull, you know, like it's so dense. Like if you look at this map, like I got the map put up on my laptop. You can't see it. But the eastern part, like you ever you ever seen a map of all the lights and you're not (laughs) on like that, that it's like it's normally like a screenshot on your desktop. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it's all just illuminated from Maine all the way down to Florida. And as you go west, it's like one light in Kansas. It's like seven lights in Texas. And then it's just dark. That's yeah. what this looks like. You can't tell any of the college football emblem on, on this map. But as you go west, you can clearly see the state of Colorado. It has three teams. You can see Air Force is like this big on the map. <laughs> Colorado, Colorado State is small because they're awful. Then you go to Utah, you have three or four there. Boise State, the, the picture over Idaho, oh, Idaho is literally the whole state. It's not much out there. Mm-hmm. So you're really going to have to just grab everyone out there and mm-hmm. make 
if you have 16 teams, you might have to just grab them all. Idaho Vandals, Boise State Broncos, you got to get uh, Slanik. And see, but but Idaho dropped down to FCS now. So, you know what I mean? And a million to get them back up. Get them some coaches. I don't know where that money gonna come from, but but you know, but but the ACC, so the ACC is not out of the woods either. Going back to that whole three or four conference thing, you know, the ACC is not out of this because right now they have a twenty-year TV deal, you know, for four point eight billion. That goes up until twenty thirty-five. So the issue there is that if an ACC school were to leave the conference, then they give up all of their TV rights up until that twenty thirty-five date. So they would lose all of that. So, so yes, so so okay. that's. But if you're the Big Ten, but but if you're the Big Ten, but but if you're the Big Ten, and we're getting near, say, 2033, you know, you could pick off a Syracuse, you could pick off a Boston College, or you know, just someone that's a little more north. I'm sure the Big Ten would go for better schools, but just making conversation right now, you know. So so those conferences have options. So whereas the only thing the Pac-12 has literally is G5 conferences and really just the Mountain West Conference because CUSA might be too far away. And now they got schools like Kennesaw State and Liberty. So, you know, I'm sure the Pac-12 aren't going to be trying to pick those schools up. So that's why I don't see a path forward for the Pac-12. The ACC is holding on just because of that TV rights deal. But as soon as we get within a few years of that, I'm sure somebody's going to say, hey, Duke and Carolina basketball, come on over here. Yeah, but with the ACC, what you still have, you have a you have a regional stronghold to where you can lobby multiple quality schools. You might, you never know how it plays on the SEC over the next four or five years. You might be able to get Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt if you lose Syracuse, Boston College. You know, if you lose those two schools, okay, cool. We'll keep it even more regional. We'll go get Kentucky and Tennessee schools. Now we, we're still here. Our travel circle is still here. We still have the market. Those are huge football markets. They love their football. But see, I think the SEC makes too much money for that. True. But like I say, you, you, but you at least you, you might be able to, you have some leverage there to where. Maybe, I mean, maybe there could be a merger. You know, where it's all under the SEC umbrella, but, you know, yeah. You're 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 close enough in region. You're close enough in fan base. You're close enough in your – if you're negotiating with ABC or CBS, like, listen, we're in the same region. Like, if you're in UVA, if you're Virginia Tech, your your region and your, and your media stretch stretches out to Tennessee – in Kentucky is all right there. It's not far apart. It's all it's so very condensed that you can make a, a real argument and then you pull in you have your Florida schools, some Florida schools get better, UCF, then you have a school like maybe UAB. Like you have you have such a crop of talent in that region that it's easier to sell versus our West. We talked about this. It's not a lot of high school talent coming out of the states just simply because it's not that many high schools. Right. It's not people. All of your people live on the East Coast. So you're in Texas, I'm in Jersey. Everybody, essentially, I think it's probably like 65% of the people, 65-7% of the people live between Texas up to here, probably even close to 70%. So if you factor in density of high schools, you factor in the love of the game of these regions, 
we were in Texas. We were to Texas for for Texas. I remember once I was in San Antonio, probably 2000. Yeah, like 2000, my first joined. And I was driving. Traffic stopped. They were directing traffic off of like a main road into a parking lot on a Friday night because the parking lot was jam packed full for high school football. It was September, like the season. I just it wasn't championship weekend. It was September. Friday and night lights was jam packed. It was it looked like a college stadium. But yeah. that's how they feel about football there. Like, you know, you have college sized stadiums for high school games, AstroTurf, people recruiting, guys help people holding their sons back so they can play one extra year and be 19 year old seniors and get these. I mean, like it's it's just I'm pretty sure it's like that everywhere. People reclassing that. I think it's the phrase yeah. that you but it's only so much you can do when 35% of the population lives amongst 25 or so of the, the remaining states, you know, so it's, it's just not, it's not a good crop to pull from. Whereas these schools down South, you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of Juco talent. Cause a lot of people who go to school in Tennessee, they go to school in, in Alabama, they go to school in mm-hmm. Texas and then they don't make, they can't stay on the D one team for whatever reason. So they go to a Juco. Well, you're not going to go to a Juco in Washington state and try to keep communicating with a, a coach down in Florida, you go. You might go to Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Alabama, you go to Mississippi, you go to one of those JUCOs there. That way, you're close. That way, the Alabama coach, he can drive out, check out this JUCO game, Mississippi Garden State versus Mississippi Lower State or whatever. He's like, you know what? I can I can check out this talent because I'm only going a couple of states over. I'm, I'm not driving that long. He's not flying to Washington to watch a JUCO game. Yeah, and and you know, in the end. You know, it it just comes down to money, sadly, as I talked about the other night when I got things off my chest. It all comes down to money. But when you're talking about money, I try to do a good job of keeping you up to date on things that's going on in sports. But you ain't telling me that Tim Donahue was back in the NBA. Listen, man, if y'all want to watch something crazy about a referee, check out Netflix documentary, Tim Donahue. He had he he try to say I'm not trying to get documentary but he tried to say he didn't really have that much of an impact on the game and everyone was like what you can give two points anytime you want you can give a technical anytime you want if somebody if somebody drops an f-bomb on you that's technical how often does that happen in the game with this much emotion a coach a fan you can give the home team a tech if the fan gets irate well remember he gave sheet a tech for looking at him <laughs> uh, what's, what's, what's the guy named Joy Crawford threw Tim Duncan out for laughing on the bench? Yeah. So it was like, you know, refs, refs can have an impact on games, but simply because they can have an impact on the game does not mean that because your team didn't win, it was because of refs. Like, I'm going to mention this a lot. I talk about it all the time. My son, he plays football, lacrosse, he wrestled basketball and play a little baseball and i told him like listen the refs if the refs are bad they're probably going to be bad both ways so if they call a holding call on you on your team they're probably going to call one on the other team if they're going to miss a block in the back on your team they're probably going to it's it's going to be even no one's going to be out there trying to rob little kids of a <laughs> football game they can be terrible and it can be impactful but did you fumble the ball? Did your team fumble the ball and lose both fumbles? Because that's 
potential for 14 points right there that you guys don't have because you fumbled the ball twice. So in the Cincinnati game, I've been reading a little bit. Like maybe maybe people were just in the moment. In the moment, I like I like reading comments. I love going to Facebook and reading the comments. It's probably my favorite part about it. Like I watch the videos, I look at the pictures, I like to read the comments. I want to see who who's articulating good thought, or who's just bloviating because they're just upset and they have thumbs and they want to start typing. So so many people are talking about how the refs stole the game from Kansas City and or stole it from Cincinnati and gave it to Kansas City because they wanted this narrative and the NFL wants this kind of game. Let me tell you something. I've gone to multiple preseason football games, and I paid for those tickets. We will watch football no matter what the conditions. I paid $40 a part at MetLife Stadium to watch a quarter and a half of Giants versus Eagles preseason game 2019. So we're going to watch football no matter what mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. We are gonna watch. I'm gonna hey, pay. I paid. I paid forty five dollars a couple of weeks ago to see the Falcons and Cardinals, and Kyler Murray wasn't even playing. <laughs> yeah, I paid forty for parking. This That's what I'm like, saying. Forty five for parking. Yeah, at the at the Mercedes. Already there. So yeah. I'm in the building. I had been. We had been in that stadium a few times for different uh different events for my for my son's team. So we played. You know, been that stadium. We played it before. We're gonna watch that game. So the NFL doesn't need to rig the Super Bowl. If the Super Bowl next year is the Saints versus the Raiders, people are gonna watch. If it's the Panthers versus the Jets, people are going to watch. As long as it's an AFC team versus an NFC team on a neutral field and they have $5,000 Super Bowl tickets and they have Snoop Dogg and Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and Tupac doing a halftime show with Prince playing the guitar, Michael Jackson moonwalking, we are going to watch that game. So this rigging it to make it so that you have the Kelsey brothers playing, it just it sounds ridiculous. On top of the fact that if you ask someone to show me a play where a call was made and it was incorrect, no one said it yet. I watched earlier, listened to two pros, one Joe with LeVar Arrington and Brady Quinn. They just talked about how bad the officiating was, but no one can give you any evidence to show like, oh, I mean, yeah, the clock was running. I saw that. I saw it when it happened. Because as soon as he said, Reset the game clock to 10 seconds. The game clock and the play clock will start on my whistle. I was like, well, that's not right because the last pass was incomplete pass. That Patrick Mahomes who will side on pass to McKinney was incomplete. Clock doesn't run. So I was like, when the clock started running, even me sitting in my home, I was like, that's not right. They got to stop the clock. You can't, you can't run the clock. You can't run the clock on the incomplete pass. And then the guy came in and they redid the play. And then Kansas City ended up punting anyway. To people like, oh, they try to give it to him. Really? Like, he explained why. Like, hey, no, the clock wasn't supposed to run. We had a clock problem, which happens all the time. We've seen it before. I can even mention the game. I'm not even going to mention, like, generically, like they were talking about. And Cincinnati about. had their chances. Cincinnati, you know, with, with the game on the line. Game on the line twice. But we've seen it in the game Denver versus Indianapolis, one of, that, one of those terrible Thursday night games. They had a play. They snapped the ball. They stopped the play because – the neurology, the, the independent neurologist called down and was like, hey, we think this guy has a concussion. So that's how I saw that happen multiple times. So we've seen plays get run. And then because of the way the whistle was blown and people can hear, I mean, Arrowhead, Arrowhead is the loudest recorded stadium by Guinness Book of World Records in the world. 
So maybe they were louder than the whistle. Who knows? I don't know. But then Kansas City punts the ball back to Cincinnati. They turn it over. Then they get the ball back again and have to punt it. And then a guy on their team who played his heart out, and he was playing hard, I get it, but he committed a penalty where the quarterback is anybody, anybody running with the ball, both feet out of bounds, you hit him, can't do it, especially when all eyes are on the quarterback. Yes, is Patrick Mahomes important to the NFL? Yes, he's important because he plays well. He's important because he's a very, 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 very good player. That is the fifth AFC Championship game in a row held at Arrowhead. I'm not sure if that's a record or not, but I'm pretty sure it's close. I know Philly made it five straight years with Andy Reid, but I don't think they were all at home. Yeah, so, you know, you you have that. So, all eyes are on the quarterback with eight seconds left. He hit him in the back when they were out of bounds. That's the 15-yard penalty. So, the fans will say, oh, well, they were holding on that play. So, like you say, either you want to not call the penalty or call a holding penalty. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm, so people mm-hmm. say the rest, the rest impact the game. Sometimes if you put yourself in a position where your actions are going to allow the refs to dictate that situation to your crime. Early in that game, one of the offensive tackles for Kansas City got a taunting call. I don't hear anybody chiping about that. Like, these guys are out there talking slick to each other, pushing each other around, whatever the case may be. You know the Bengals were talking. Absolutely. Calling Mm -hmm. the head. I think uh, Eli Apple's mom was on Twitter. She had to delete her Twitter. Yeah, she, she deleted her Twitter, too. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Acho. Which is just ridiculous. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah people out here just acting like whatever because just Super Mario with the thumbs, you know, there. Um, I, I don't I just think this narrative that the refs shouldn't impact games or they made an impact. No. Players make plays. You have the opportunities the ref had nothing to do with the scene pass that got picked off. He had nothing to do with the multiple intentional grounding calls. He had nothing to do with the fact that <coughs> they couldn't adjust to a six foot six, 330 pound guy going from inside tackle to defensive end and getting sacked pretty much every time he did it. He got pressure every single time he did that. It's like, hey, man, um, he should have stabbed in shotgun. Like, all right. Yeah, 95 went out onto the right tackle. Let me get a running back in here so you can chip him on your way out to the flat. Like, I'm not even a quarterback, but I know if I see this guy, their best defensive player, who's been eating our guards up all night long, now he's lined up solo on third down. He did it every third down. It wasn't even like it wasn't even subtle. It was like, hey Joe, I'm over here. I'm coming from over here, so you better help this right tackle. They didn't help him, similar to what happened in San Francisco against Philly. You have a team that leads the league in sacks by 15. Of all the teams, 32 teams, this team had 15 more sacks than the team in second place. And then you have their best pass rusher up there on a third-string tight end and your third-string quarterback. And then San Francisco talked about, oh, they were talking about the penalties in that game. You had a roughing the punter, roughing the kicker, like, you can't hit the kicker when he's in the air. They had what what penalty they had? They had the unnecessary roughness because they were trying to punch the ball out. Defensive holding, illegal contact. Yes, I don't like defensive holding. I don't think it should be a first automatic first down. I don't like illegal contact because I think wide receivers, especially tight ends, run right into guys. 
and they bounce off of it. I don't like the call, but we all know what these calls are. And they were the number one defense all year long. So they they've learned how to work with the most parameters. So I just don't like the whole the ref did this, the ref did that, especially without any kind of evidence. See, and I, and I like that last point. You know, that was one of those you're in my head moments because when I thought about referees, I thought about, and I brought this up when we were talking yesterday, like there were t- certain teams in the 2000s in March Madness that you knew not to put your money on. You knew that Pitt wasn't going to win the national title. You knew Temple, sorry, John Chaney and all that, you know, wasn't going to win the national title. There were certain Georgetown teams that weren't going to win the national title because they played a certain rugged defense in league play all season long. Then they get to March Madness and they're against, they have different referees that were refing different conferences. They're calling the game a little bit differently. So those teams just never had a shot because they would run into that one set of officials that would call a tighter game. And, you know, they were only putting up 60 points. So you're not going to win. You know, and I, I also looked at the um, something that I got to get off my chest. Oh, no, this is the wrong time for that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> something I want to get off my chest <laughs> is I hate the NBA last two minute report and I want it gone because I went back. We were looking about looking at this topic and I went back and looked at some things and I saw that on January 20th, you know, so just 11 days ago. We had a finals rematch between Boston and Golden State, live on TNT and everything. And within the last two minutes, they missed five different calls against both teams. They said that Klay Thompson shouldn't have fouled out. They said Jordan Poole didn't really foul Malcolm Brogdon. Apparently, Al Horford committed a 24-second violation that they didn't call. You know, they missed three defensive or two, three-second defensive violations against Boston all within that two minutes. So I don't even want to know what happened the rest of the game. But what was the point of telling us that outside of me just going, these dudes might just be a little bit incompetent. Now I know that the game moves fast. I will never ever try to put myself in those guys shoes to say that I would have got it right or whatever the case may be. But the last two minute report does nothing but piss everybody off because you're not going to change the result. You're not going to, like, bring the teams back together and go, hey, I'm going to give you these free throws, and if you make them, you win. But what also makes me mad is that ain't none of y'all care about no referees until y'all perceive LeBron James to not get foul calls in his favor. I saw the Chicago Bulls looking at these reports lose three different games because of this last two-minute report where DeMar DeRozan, a game winner against my Washington Wizards in the second game of the season, there was a foul that didn't get called. You know, there was a foul against Cleveland that didn't get called, that they lost the game. They they had two calls in the last 12 seconds of an overtime game against Cleveland that calls were not made. If those calls were made, the Bulls would be a game out of the sixth seed right now instead the of 11. All their whistles set when it benefits your team and they're supposed to call it. Like, that's how, right. it, works. That's how if, it works in this because yes. I'm typing this with my thumbs and I'm upset, and I'm posting on my, my group chat, and so I'm upset. So that means, oh, because I'm upset and I'm a fan of this player, I think this foul should have been called. And that and that's the part. It's like the last two-minute report back. What about the other 46 minutes? Right. Did, right. You, did they execute? Like, I get it. Like I said. Ask the Sacramento Kings of 2002 how many minutes there are in a basketball game and how many calls were missed. 
you know, I was thinking about this. You know, I was just trying to think of random moments in sports history that I could remember where I felt the refs took a game away. or And, and granted, like I said, I'm not trying to say the refs did it on purpose. But these are just the moments that stand out. He refed that game, right? He did. He refed one of those, a couple of those games in that series. But the first thing that I thought of was Michael Jordan, Utah, you know, walking off. We thought he was going to retire. I wish he would have stayed retired for good, but he didn't. Four teams that go for like six hundred on Flight Club right now. And you know, and not only did he push. Byron Russell, he like guided him with his elbow, like I want you over here. He extended his arms. Michael Jordan, six foot now, six, seven foot wingspan, fully guided another six foot six, six foot seven man. With now him. I'm not trying to I'll say dad shoes, but you know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying you know, to say dad shoes. He's out there monarchs. No, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say that the refs had some money on the Bulls, but I feel very, very confident. That if Byron Russell had the ball and did that to Jordan, there would have been a foul call. He pushed him. He pushed I feel him. very confident in that. And and you say like that's just a one off, right? So actions and decisions have consequences. So take a stroll with me back to 1990, Colorado Buffaloes and Missouri Tigers, the infamous fifth down where Colorado got stopped on fourth down, and I guess they messed up the marker. So they did it all over again, and Colorado got the first down, scored everything. And so while in the moment that didn't decide anything, Colorado ended up splitting the title that year with Georgia Tech. You know, so like that fifth down contributed to a national title. Now, granted, Colorado had other games that they could have lost that season. But if they lose that game, they get stopped on that fourth down. Cordell Stewart, Hail Mary. No, that was before Cordell. That was that was before that was right before Cordell. Okay. That was nineteen that was nineteen ninety. So Darian Hagan was the quarterback at the time. So okay. this was right before Rashawn Salam and all that kind of stuff. But Colorado ain't won no national title since. And then the other thing that I thought about yeah. was Saints <laughs> was Saint Rams from a couple of years ago, where uh the obvious pass interference was missed. Now, granted, New Orleans got the ball in overtime. They had a chance to win the game or whatever the case may be. But those, but that was a moment where I felt the rug got pulled from under a team. They had to settle for a field goal instead of getting that automatic first down in the red zone. Who knows what happens? Maybe the Rams make a pick a play or two later. I don't know. Yeah. You know, some, but those are just moments. But some something like I said, I get it. Something that agrees, something that obvious has to get called. Um, we talk about this a lot because a lot of people have have, have talked about this particular NBA series when the Warriors were up 3-1 on the Cavs and Draymond Green decided to throw a little backhanded butt punch (laughs) at LeBron and they suspended him for it. I saw it. I can look at it right now. I can turn around YouTube on my TV, replay that and think to myself, no one should get suspended for that. Bro, it's all been, I'm saying is... It shouldn't have been a foul. He should have missed the whole game. Like, literally, like, I'm not going to... He should not have missed a game. That is one... That is a, a conversation you can have that says, all right, that gave an edge for one game. Mm-hmm. But foul calls, things of that nature can get... But, like, going into that 
game was that that'd have been game five. Going into game five, Kyrie, LeBron both dropped 41. No Draymond is there. It was like, man, if Draymond was here, it would have been different. But it kind of falls on his head because in game six, LeBron dropped 41 again. Mm-hmm. And then they went back to Golden State. And then, you know, we all, the rest is history. But all but, I'm trying to and, say and, is. But we talked about another another basketball. All I'm trying to say is, all I'm trying to say is, pe- people get into these arguments about all lives matter and all this kind of stuff. All I'm saying is all balls matter because <laughs> I remember Draymond Green kicking Stephen Adams in the nuts twice I, in the same got, series. He got some no, he got some time for that. I think he got. I think that might have been the precursor to the suspension because he kicked them. And I believe the regular season, or he kicked somebody else. I think he kicked somebody, somebody, yeah, he kicked somebody else, but he kicked Adams twice in that kicked, one series and didn't get suspended. Adams, and it was like, all right, you and I, do another little backhand punch. So it was like, obviously, you're not getting it. I, I know a lot of y'all think that LeBron is the GOAT, but his nuts are not more important than Steven Adams's. Listen, his nuts were allowed to bring out the greatest comeback in. NBA Finals history, and it was wonderful. But I still think it was unnecessary. Listen, we wanted to call this show a different name, but I'm objective about it. I mean, we couldn't call it that because another another you know group of people had that name. But listen, we're we gonna keep it 100. That's that's the main thing we do on this show is like we can talk about what's real and what's not. We talked about the Stoudemire stepping up on the bench when Robert Oria hip checked Steve Nash and blood was everywhere. They suspended him for it. If that was a hockey game. He would have been out there the next game, but because of the way the rules are set up, you got you got to work within the parameters of the rules. And I mean, but that was but it, see, and this is and this is where I get confused, or this is where the conversation gets interesting, right? Because we have these conversations with people, and they say you don't make that call in that moment of the game. Whereas I've always been straight up, like if it's a foul, it's a foul. If it's a hold, it's a hold. Whatever the case may be. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that was suspension worthy. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So, 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 so like yes. for me, I think the so if, it was big, if it was a technical and he got like and they gave him a technical for it and then technically it, that's one thing. But I think he got suspended strictly for the act of throwing a punch at his groin, and I was like, right. that looked like one. But like I said, if it was a technical and he and he reached that number threshold, whatever it's like, 16 in the regular season, probably five or six in the postseason. I have, I have imagined that the number, it does limit itself. Right, right. If that was, if that was a, hey, you got a tech in game four, but they ultimately won, then you're suspended for game five. It's different, but the the suspension was for that hit, and I'm like, that was not a suspension. Right, and, and that's where, you know, I got to have my Kendrick Lamar moment because I'm the biggest hypocrite in 2023, yeah. where, you know what I mean, with the Amari Stoudemire thing, that was one of the ones where I'm like, ooh, that was game six. You know, all he did was step off the bench. He didn't necessarily get involved in the fray. He literally didn't. He stood up. His feet were over the line, and one of the assistant coaches turned, and he looked over the coach's shoulder. And then like, he got suspended for game seven. And he got and suspended he got- for game seven. But see, and, that, and that's where, like, I can't help but think I have no proof. I have no proof. But I, but I can't help but think. Tim Duncan don't get suspended in that moment. I, I just can't help not think that. Like Does it's the role. I'm off the bench. I don't know. Tim Duncan might have just been sitting there like this. 
Tim Duncan wouldn't know what was going on. I don't know. I don't know. But but it's just one of those things that bring into it brings these things into question where, you know, like um, going back to your Cincinnati um, point, you know, I don't think that the referee screwed Cincinnati, you know, but I can understand why as a Cincinnati fan or as Zach Taylor, you think to yourself, hey, it's hard enough to stop this dude as it is. And you're making my job harder, especially when they had. The, the thing is, like, I can get I get that feeling. I get that sentiment. But if if you ask Zach Taylor today to tell you what occurred on the field that mm-hmm. he can point to that says, I don't know why this call was made. Right. I don't, I don't think he has one. Well, I think the Bengals, I think their fans maybe, I'll keep the coaches and players out of it, but I think their fans maybe just had that aura of they were being screwed. Like from the DeMar Hamlin thing on where it was like, hey, we didn't get to play for the one seed. These people are talking about alternate site championship games. So I think Cincinnati in general at large just had a certain chip on their shoulder. Chip chip on their shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And I get that. And that's emotional. And I get it. I, I'll let you slide with that on Sunday night and Monday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday night. And I've been listening. I've literally been listening and asking for because I'm big on qualified and quantified. Mm-hmm. If no matter what your argument is, I will listen to you if you're willing to articulate your point, qualify and quantify whatever numbers you provide to me, because that makes me think that gives mm-hmm. me an opportunity to learn from you. And I can sit back and just be quiet and listen because you're giving me facts over feelings. And I was listening for it. I was reading for it. I was asking for it. I asked people for it. And what I got was crickets. Right. What I got was hyperbole and just emotion. I didn't get any concrete information that says because I watched the game. I watched the whole game because I took a nap earlier and I woke up and San Francisco was like, down the some dude out of the audience throwing slant routes and I was like this is not gonna look good and then they couldn't stop the run they could talk about all the penalties and everything else I'm like hey man yeah they're running the RPL to the weak side maybe shift I don't know hey maybe wrap them up but yeah they were getting dominated on the offensive side of the ball regardless of whatever happened with the quarterback so when they went in a halftime down 21-7 that game was over so when I watched the whole Cincinnati Kansas City game mm-hmm. I was like all right I don't like these calls. I didn't like the hold when Pacheco scored a touchdown. But if you run it back, he had him, arm extended. I didn't like the hold. One hold I didn't like for Kansas City was on a it was on a gunner. It was on a blocker on one of the gunners from Cincinnati when Sky Moore got a good return. They called that back. And it looked like he was inside. He was like inside the shoulder pads, blocking, and he pushed him down. I was like, okay, that didn't look like much of a hold, but they called it. So you can look at all these plays, mm-hmm. look at the vacuum, and just be like, oh, we got screwed, we got screwed, we got screwed. But ultimately, when you look down, look at it, who made mistakes? Five sacks, two turnovers, two intentional grounding calls. That's nine play opportunities that set your team back. Kansas City had one turnover couple of punts, and they didn't get a crucial penalty at the end of the game that put Kansas Cincinnati in the field goal range, and Cincinnati did. Like, that's your difference, right? This goes oh. nine plays. 
all, all I'm going to say is you can't call it Burrowhead if you can't just go get a field goal. You know, they didn't need a touchdown. All they needed was a field goal. You know, you can't call it Burrowhead if you can't just go get a field goal. That's it. Because that's all they needed. Burrowhead afterwards. It would have been dope if they would have won and then called it Burrowhead. Well, you know, just beforehand, it really kind of like when Chris Jones was like, well, I'll see a Burrowhead on Sunday. It just kind of, you could tell it galvanizes. Right. Pretty sure they would have played just as hard. Right, it's the championship game, yeah. Championship well, you know, just the week prior, just the week prior, Trevor Lawrence was talking about Arrowhead ain't that loud. And I'm he, just like, well, bro, you con- never read a book? Listen, context. <laughs> he didn't say it that way. The prince that was promised was not. <laughs> he just said, I didn't think it was that loud. And they were like, okay. And then they were like, all right, time out. I can't, I can't hear it. <laughs> Because Tony Romo was talking about it all the time. He was like, you can tell a lot of this because Joe Burrow's yelling at his guys in the huddle. And I'm thinking to myself, how I, you're in the huddle. You are a couple of feet from all the mouths and ears in this little huddle. It's that loud on the field that you can't hear. Right. Maybe, I know, like, the NFL plays are crazy, like X, Y, scat, blue, Kill, kill, X8, Bango, nine. Omaha! Omaha. <laughs> like, I get that it's a lot of like just words thrown together and it's it's not like a simple sentence like, hey man, go long, or hey man, run this post route. Like, and you can just kind of compute that. But when you hear these plays all week long in practice, all season long, but it's so loud at the stadium that you're in the huddle yelling that you got to call a timeout. It's, I mean, they had, they had ultimate home field advantage, and then people want to say, oh, the refs were helping them out. No, the refs weren't helping them out. Those yeah. nine plays changed the game. Five sacks, two intentional grounders, and two turnovers. And on a side note, on a side note, I'm tired of this Mahomes-Jordan thing, too. You know, like, uh, I, I get I get what they're trying to convey. I get what they're trying to convey. I really do. You know, but but I'm just tired of it. You know, but, you know, speaking of Michael Jordan, you know, I'm glad that we changed the way the All-Star game votes for players, you know, because there was a season where he played and he got voted in as an All-Star game participant where he only played 18 games. You know, like, I get it. It's a fans game. It's for the fans. I understand that. But we got to have some semblance of a reward or something, right? I mean... It's twofold. It's a popularity contest and it's a showcase. Mm -hmm. It's not a most deserving come play here so we can so we can show you off. Mm -hmm. Most entertaining come here so we can show you off. NBA All-Star Game is in Salt Lake City this year. Shout out to Salt Lake City. I'll be there. I mean, in the Wasatch in the mountains. Snowcat Mountains, uh, but it's a showcase. So with that being said, you're gonna need players that provide that energy. You're gonna need Kyrie, Giannis, Jokic, Luka, LeBron. I mean, some of these guys are just so exciting. They move the needle all over the world. International players or players with international cachet. And some guys, you know, they may not get in. Some guys are having outstanding years. Some guys have to have a better year than 
the stars to overtake. Mm-hmm. So not DeMontis Sabonis. <laughs> Sabonis has a great name, great legacy. He just, he gotta, he can be in a running for like an annual award or he could be in a running to put his team in position to win the games that matter. But as far as like the all-star showcase, showing off the best that the NBA has to offer for those 72 hours, they just want to showcase guys. They want guys that do this dunk between the legs and three points. Yeah, I was going to say, I wish we could have that in the slam dunk contest. You know, I wish that we could have stars back. Slam dunk contest. I'm about to put out here last, so it's recorded, so somebody will take my idea. You know, I said it here first. This is my fix for the slam dunk contest, because, you know, we could talk about all-star voting after this, but this is my fix. I got it. All right, all right. We've seen you two, right, with all those slam dunk contests and these guys doing these crazy dunks. Mm-hmm. So this, you take four of those guys, you pair them with an NBA dunk participant, and then they dunk together. And then you take a cumulative score of them, and then you have them compete. So what you're going to get is the NBA player practices. They, they bring the, the, the professional dunker to the facility, you know, two, three weeks out. You know, you give him a, give him his own jersey, or maybe you do something kind of flary with it where you just, if the guy has a nickname, whatever the case may be. But if you get a Miami Heat player and you get a professional dunker, you put him in team jerseys and you have him go out there and do tandem dunks, individual dunks, but you have them work together, give you a dunk showcase, and then you go round by round like that. Because some of these guys are doing dunks that you're not even going to see anybody trying to be a game. I mean, dudes are bouncing off the ground, through their legs, catching it with the other hand, going around their back and dunking it. That sounds crazy. Guys are doing that on the regular. So if you get a guy like Aaron Gordon in there with a professional dunker, and he gives them an idea like, yo, I never even thought of trying that dunk. And they work on that. So now you have some of these high flyers, a guy like Derek Jones, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, some of your high high flying dunkers, and you pair them with one of these professional dunkers. It's a wrap. Especially if you get a professional dunker from where the All-Star game is. Because I I saw a video. The some of these professional dunkers are holding dunking camps in Utah at American Fork High School. Mm-hmm. So they were there either like with a connection with with BYU, but I know they were at American Fork High School doing like these dunk contests. So it's like they have some kind of some kind of connection to the state of Utah. It's all about just if you're gonna make a showcase, you gotta think outside the box. And I think the dunk contest kind of lacks loses luster because these guys are doing regular practice regular game practice they're not thinking about oh man just jump up bounce the ball real hard between the back of your head so it bounces between your legs and you catch it and then go into the rim with it that's kind of dunks these guys do so if you have someone who's athletic enough because your nba players are like ultra athletic so you put them in there with a guy that's creative and a guy that can do it and not mm-hmm. just an idea like i can see the ideas out of my head but i can't make it happen but if you got a professional right. dunker that's like yeah do this dunk. This is one of my favorite dunks. This is how I do it. Practice with them. Get the insurance waiver or whatever it clears so you can practice at the facility. I mean, that's how you showcase because that would be bananas. So y'all heard it here first. <laughs> January 31st, 2023, Raphael Reilly came up with that idea. So if you hear anywhere else, just go ahead and let me know. So I can go ahead and see Copyright. Copyright. <laughs> I mean, so like so how do you like... So how do you like the makeup of the vote where 
it's 50% fan vote, you know, 25% player and media. You, you think you good with that? I'm good with the 25% media for sure. Because I'm sometimes I'm sick of the media. I'm sick of I'm sick of them always doing the same thing. The players are a little novice too, and the fans are just as bad. But I do like the fact that if you're gonna get if you're gonna make it a fan showcase, you give the fans have to say so. You know, it's like you're letting the fans run the business for that weekend. Like, hey, we want to see these people do participate in these events. So I, I think it's I think it's a good look. Um, Right now, we got the starters to choose from. Out west, you got LeBron, Joker, Luca, Steph, Zion. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think he's playing that many games. Well, that's how of... I feel about Steph, too. But, you know, but at the same time, Steph, I guess he is Steph's Steph. has been injured and played. Like, he's injured and come back, injured and come back. It's Zion. Know, but but Zion. shout, outs, shout outs to my UK Wildcat SGA. Averaging 30 points with five assists and five rebounds, you know, like. But anyway, go ahead. We'll we'll get the SGA on our next episode. Then I'll go ahead. Go ahead. AD, Donovan Mitchell, Tatum, Giannis, and Kyrie. I mean, where's Joel? Where is Joel? I, I don't. Where, why is Joel not getting more love? I have no. It's because he's a center. It's the same reason why when I say things, and he's we're not going to get sidetracked. We're not going to get sidetracked. But it's okay. just like when I say things like. Kareem is the GOAT, or, you know, Tim Duncan is this. People say, the best player can't be a center. You know, like, they have to Maybe rely on, they have to rely on somebody else to get them the ball. And I'm like, so does a wide receiver, but I'm sure you love them. But the yeah. point is, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I think that centers have been stigmatized now to where they don't play the traditional way that we grew up he watching centers. like a 280-pound Kevin Durant. Yeah, so I think there's no so so there's no difference between the way that Joker plays and you know the way that Paul George plays outside of the fact that Paul George has better handles, but Jokic still gets the assists, you know, all those kind of things. So we're in that positionless era where I think centers just get forgotten about, you know, um, in that way. Should we go two front, two back court, three front court, one center? Well, so, yeah, so right now, yeah, that's where the way it is right now is the two backcourt, right three front court, backcourt. Mm. So you no, six and six, or do you, you take one of the front court and you say center? That might be the way to go. Because um, like, you get the center highlighted by their position. Because if you think about Gobert is an all-star caliber. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The problem is I don't think there's that many centers, Embiid. There's not many that are all-star, and hence why it's a front court. Embiid is just gonna have to go out and and win a chip to get his for that to be his galvanizing piece because he's gonna lose the he's gonna lose the optics battle to Jokic because Jokic mm-hmm. does so much with the basketball in his hand. Then I'm pretty sure Joel and B could do. Like I'm pretty sure Joel and B could dribble the ball up and stop eight feet behind the three point line at the one nice bounce pass. Or he's my MVP so far go. this year for people that care about stuff like that this early in the season. But I think somebody that caught my eye is tough for him to, to argue the MVP because he's not 
he's not an all-star starter. You know, so yeah, like I know, right? So so yeah, so so that was a question that I asked you that I would like for yeah, you. That's what a vote that's what a vote kinda like it can hurt because he's not he's not afforded the opportunity to be first team all NBA mm-hmm. because Jokic is the center of first team all NBA. Yeah, yeah. Then he can't get the votes that he needs and he's required and the respect that he deserves as an all-star for the front court because Durant, Tatum, Giannis are also front court players who optically just look more showcased. Versus if MB was bringing the ball up and one dribble at the half court, because Giannis, I mean, some of his dunks is like he has a dribble at half court, he picks the ball up at the three-point line, one step at the free throw line, and dunk. I'm not sure Embiid moves like that consistently, but he hits the step back three. He posts up, hits the dream shake. I saw a clip of him, and it was like, you know that Jordan, Kobe, like with Jordan shooting the fadeaways, and it has Kobe shooting the fadeaway? Mm-hmm. All videos, Jordan, Kobe, Embiid. Mm-hmm. And Embiid was doing the same shots, and it was like, it was from a Philly, it was a Philly like Facebook like post. I clicked on it, and I was like, man. They, and then I was like, I was looking at it like, it does look. It looked deliberate. It looks like he went to the lab the same way Kobe did mm-hmm. to lock down those moves. It's from the same spot on the floor, the shake, the lean, the the one dribble pull up. Like, and this is a seven foot guy doing this. I think he doesn't get that acclaim. Because, maybe because it's Philly. I mean, but Philly's like a big market. It's not as if he plays in Sacramento or like you know uh, San Antonio or something. It's just I'm trying trying to describe like what, like if you think of the Lakers, Mm -hmm. the rooms are bright, the floor is bright, stadiums. Philly, like the stadium, kind of looks a little dark. It's dim, yeah little dim like i've been um the jerseys look that the jerseys is kind of like i mean it's just it's not a lot of flair and they I need know, to bring back those iverson era jerseys that's what they need to bring back yo that would be that would be live that that's that should be their christmas game jersey this coming season and, and speaking of the lakers did, did i see austin reeves getting some austin all-star reeves. Austin Reeves is, is pretty high. Him and Westbrook are pretty high on. What the are home. you doing, fans? What are you doing? Um, I think they're both higher than B. Aaron Fox. This is why we can't have good things. I mean, like so you take the good with the bad. You take the bad calls with the good calls. You take the popular vote. Caruso would have been on it if he still was a Laker. Mm-hmm. He would have. Thing kind of run. I saw a couple of ballots that had Chet Holmgren. Um, he had votes. He hadn't played since that game in Inglewood against LeBron. Uh, I bet you Durant voted for him. Because he's like, oh, because he wore the shoes. Yeah, and then, you know, he's like the, the. I mean, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. No beef, Easy Money Sniper. No beef, no beef. We're not baiting Easy Money Sniper, but I'm saying if you want to. Oh, shots out. To KD, but All Star starter, uh, you got Tyrese Halliburton's eighth right now on the on the top ten list. 
See, so, and I feel like he should be starting over Kyrie, but you know, Kyrie brings that excitement, the dribbling. He's there for like know. 27 points a game. Like I said, the All Star game is about scoring and showcasing. I don't need like guys throwing chess passes. Well, I don't this know. You know, Kyrie does pissed off half Uzi, the nation too, so I don't know. Kuzi versus the 57 Lakers. Like I mean, it's like the Minneapolis Lakers. This is the All Star game. Yeah. I need Kyrie's bag with the behind the back. Shake moves on Giannis. I and, and do me a favor, y'all. I don't want the media to interview Kyrie at all this whole weekend. Just let the man play basketball. Don't don't set him up to put his foot in his mouth. Listen, <laughs> I, like I said, me and you, we we've been we've been to Utah, been to Salt Lake. I know they had the Olympics. We've been there a lot. I don't know where you put a lot of extra people. Utah has a lot of space. It's a it's a great state. As just anybody wants to go. I was texting a a former coworker of mine that needed some information he, that he that he would have in his office. I was texting him. He was like, "Hey man, I can't get it for you. I'm in Utah right now." He's like, "I finally took a vacation." I'm like, "Where you guys are gonna park city snowboard and send me a picture? It's gorgeous." I just don't know where you put that many people. I know. It, it's not a lot of it's a lot of space, but it's not a lot of place. Yeah, but everything is far. You know, Provo's like still two hours away. You know, Park City is still about an hour. You know, like you know Ogden. Well, I mean Ogden's kind of close, but Logan is like an hour away. You got like so if you if you fly into Salt Lake City and you book the hotel, and it's like oh it's only this many miles away. Yeah, but that depends on which direction it is. Because if it's west, man, it's far. Because, like, granted, the speed limit is probably, like, 75 or 80. You can get there. But, like, when I think about it, like, I, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to go. I'm like, I got to see this. I got to see right, this. Right, right, right. Because I know the the a lot of players, I heard Matt Barnes say this. He's like, man, nobody wants to go to Utah because there's no nightlife. Hey, LeBron said nobody even pick them on the video games. Utah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. So it's it just it's like, I think about the All Star Game. It's 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 cool. Like I don't know how or why they picked Utah. I don't know if it's significant to any of the players. I don't know if it's significant to like a twenty like an anniversary or just rotation. It's like hey, East West, East West, and they just happen to have it. I don't know if it's like their stadium is newly updated or whatever the case may be, but. So is uh is is Lori Markinen going to get in? Do you think that like the local team should have a player in? The local team gets. I think that I think that's kind of standard. I don't know if it's written into the rules, but I think it's standard. I know baseball is like every team has to be represented. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like we were talking about the World Cup. The World Cup has the host nation's team makes it. Mm-hmm. Just off the regular, you have to qualify. You're the host nation, you make it. So I I would assume. I mean, I could be wrong, but the the host team yeah. at least a player represented yeah so, so youtube so youtube y'all need to comment us like can what was it can canada mexico and the united states get a team in the world cup yeah, because, <laughs> yeah we didn't know that like anybody big on soccer that knows but it says they it says north america is the host mm-hmm. united states or north america but if it's the case i know there's games being played in mexico Mm-hmm. There's games being played in Toronto, mm-hmm. and then there's multiple games spread out from the East Coast to the West Coast. Yeah. And of course, Houston and Dallas get it, but San Antonio don't. I need y'all to do better, San Antonio. Come on, man, you know they weren't gonna play in San Antonio. 
it makes more sense because San Antonio is in the middle. You can pack people. And, and the demographic. Or, yeah. Okay. But you have Dallas. I think maybe Houston has a MLS team with a nice mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, like, Austin does too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 to 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting. I'll be, like I said, I'm here. There's a, there's a stadium just, I think I don't know if it's across the New York border because when you take the train north to out of Jersey, New York, like when you get to Staten Island, Staten Island is technically New York, but I'm not sure exactly if the stadium is in Jersey or in New York, but let's put right. a New York play. It's a pretty nice stadium. And if they play it life, I imagine that they will, they can set that up as well. And that that's clearly in Jersey, that's in East Rutherford. But it should be fun at a minimum until a minimum if it, it's anywhere in this area, like I'm going just to just for the spectacle. I mean, I don't even care what game it is. It could be. Oh, I'm definitely going. But see, y'all, there you go. We got y'all some soccer hour. talk in there. I'm going. Like, I'm going. Because we watched, we watched it at work. Man, I was so invested. Because it, so, it came on at 10 o'clock. Because we get to work at 9. We banged on our work for like an hour. And then everybody in my office returned. We had the TV up. We had little bets going on. Not condoning betting, but it is fun to make the game. Like I was like, oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be nil nil at halftime. Like, nah, I think somebody's gonna score. Bet, put a dollar on it, and that made it even more interesting. So it was, you know, it was a good sport. But like I said, like I think the host, like I said, the, the host nation gets automatic bid. So I imagine the same thing. Laurie Marketing gets. He probably even even if he does, even if it's not automatic, I think any coach or Adam Silver or whoever makes the determination of who the reserves are. Well, so so the coaches pick the reserves. Adam Silver gets involved when there's injuries. So if we did an alternate due to injury, then Silver will pick that person. Yeah, somebody not going. We'll see. You know, I don't know. Is Easy Money Sniper going to be playing? Is he a captain? No, Giannis is a captain. I don't think he's going to play. He hasn't played regular season, right? I don't think yeah, I know they I know last I saw last week they said they were gonna check him in two weeks to see, you know, what the deal was, but I'm paying you, you know, I would love to see I'm easy money not, sniper. Not playing a pickup game and <laughs> before you play a real game out here in Barclay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know Melo played a whole played a whole all star game in Madison Square Garden and sat out the rest of the season when he played for the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was hard out in that game. It was like, yeah, he's done for the season. I was like, yeah, it looked like he was done for the season. Unless he was serious. So, you know, I'm always trying to fight for New Jersey to get some love, you know, because everybody's all about New York and everything, you know, but keeping Jersey in mind. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Listen. I'm waiting for this conversation. We've <laughs> Let's go. And and I've done my, I'll call it, I've done my research. We've I've like I've had this conversation before multiple times. What sparked it for us? We had this conversation before. We have a, an individual we know. We're probably bringing on the show at some point. But he's a big L.A. Rams, Lakers fan. LSU Tiger Dodger Dodger fan mm-hmm. from Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought it up before the Super Bowl last night. I think it was before the season started. As soon as the trade happened for Matthew Stafford to the Rams, Stafford was a Hall of Famer. So we were arguing this point back and forth. And one of the points I brought up was like, 
listen, man, you got to give Rivers, Roethlisberger, and Eli Manning into a Hall of Fame first. I think all three of them have a better case than Stafford, but I still don't think all three of them are Hall of Famers. So he, we went back and forth, he was kind of confused as far as like like the context of what I'm saying. So now that you and I have this discussion, it goes like this. Eli Manning versus Philip Rivers versus Ben Roethlisberger, that 2004 class. No contest. Good quarterback class. But the Hall of Famer, the definitive Hall of Fame out of that group is Ben Roethlisberger. The numbers support it. The, the eye test supports it. The longevity supports it. The record supports it. More than I know we like Eli. And what happens is that, yes, even if his last name wasn't Manning, if he was Eli Rivers, going from being a really good NFL player exciting moments, maybe a Super Bowl run, maybe a Super Bowl victory, and then you go straight to TV, straight as soon as you retire, you have five years of people just watching you every Sunday, if that's your slot, every Monday, if that's your slot, Thursday, like Whitworth and Sherm right now, they're on Thursdays with Fitzpatrick. You have Eli and Peyton on Monday. Randy Moss, I believe he was also Monday night. Then you have Steve Smith. I think he's on throughout the week on NFL Network. So you have these guys. I don't want to say friends. I think friends is like, is like a dismissive word. But I think these guys who are on the, on the <clears throat> waiting for their opportunity to be nominated for the Hall of Fame and then potentially voted in. If they went straight to broadcasting, then all you remember about them post-football is everything about their broadcasting. And then you'll look at the parts of the football that you like. There's going to be an argument for Tony Romo when he's eligible and his numbers are nowhere near Hall of Fame, but people love him on CBS. So the argument will be made. You'll see Cowboys fans, especially come out of the woodworks with, oh yeah, Tony Romo's a Hall of Famer. He broke all of Troy Aikman's record and Troy Aikman's Hall. So you'll get all that. But That didn't seem to work for Art Monk. <laughs> it worked for everybody, but you got to you got to be on TV. Like it worked for Randy Moss. We talked about this before. Terrell Owens, Randy Moss's numbers are Hall of Fame caliber wide receiver numbers. Terrell Owens just had a couple more years that he had to go through the Hall of Fame process. Didn't get it, but the year Randy Moss was eligible, suddenly T.O. gets in. Megatron got in first time. Megatron's a nice guy. People like him. Okay. Okay. So a lot of us have to battle. You said we talked about Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis didn't have a long career. He, his numbers were half what some of the other guys were going to debate here in the next few weeks and months like, as we have these kind of conversations. His numbers were half of those. But he got in. Mm-hmm. But I think Eli will potentially get in. But if I had to argue for one of those quarterbacks I had 2004 class, it would be Ben Roethlisberger. I think Eli gets in just because of who he beat and, you know, knocking off the 18 and 0 Patriots, knocking off the GOAT Tom Brady, all that good stuff like that. I think solely that gets him in. I personally don't think he's a Hall of Famer, uh, especially with 
the whole leading the league in interceptions three times. You know I don't do the quarterback record thing, but just for those of y'all out there who do 118 and 118 is the record. It reminds me a little bit of Joe Namath, who was 62, 63, and 4, career-high 50.1 completion percentage, who probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame either, but it was a different time. I'm not yeah. going to hold I but, I kind of live in it. And like but, I said, respect it for those times. Like I respect it because no one thought that anybody would throw 55 touchdowns and 5,000 right, yards right. when and, they Johnny United's throw a deep post route. They go, oh, man, someone's going to do this for 5,000 yards. I get that that wasn't like the narrative they were thinking of. And, and you know, Grandma Wolfie always told me two wrongs don't make a right. And just like I told that Rams fan that you alluded to earlier, two wrongs don't make a right. So just because Joe Namath got in doesn't mean that somebody else needs to get in on the strength of Joe Namath is in. So, yeah. so, so as a personal player, just watching Eli Manning play, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, I, in that class that you talked about, I would rank them you know, Ben, number one. So that's why I said no contest earlier. I think Ben is the absolute Hall of Fame out of that group. I would probably have to put Eli ahead of Rivers just based on the Super Bowls or whatever the case like, may be. But I don't think that Eli is a better quarterback than Phillip Rivers. I just don't think that Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Famer. But Phillip didn't take the teams that he had that had opportunities to play well. Like, he had... 14 and 2, 11 and 5, a 13 and 3 team, and a 12 and 4 team. So he went, he had like this run three out of four years where he had double digit wins. And then it was just mediocrity for so long that it was like, you, in his prime, his prime playing years from, you know, we'll call it 2008 or 9 to 2016, like that middle part. He, his his record was was below 500. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when, and, he was, when he was at his his physical best, his physical peak, he you know he didn't peak. Whereas Eli, 2007, well now 2008, when the games actually occurred, because I, I was in Iraq watching it. So 2008 and then 2012, like the calendar years, like that was like the bookend of his his prime. And yeah. he got each end. So the optics of it looked like his career was just like way better maybe the san diego slash los angeles chargers weren't that organized weren't that structured maybe they had bad coaching maybe they had bad ownership maybe the general manager wasn't doing his thing but as in some of those years you you have to like you you have to do the extra thing to get your team over the hump because eli's run through the playoffs were four Essentially four road games because they were wild card. The Giants were wild card. They, yes, the defense played outstanding. There's a Hall of Fame on the defense. Michael Strahan. Then you had, you know, Brandon Jacobs running the ball. You had O.C. Mejuro on the defense. You, mm-hmm. you, you had studs all over the field. The defensive line, Justin Tuck, um, the Mario Manningham catch, David Tyree catch. You, I mean, you had plays that were made by Burris. Shout out yeah. to you. Um, you had all these things happen. But Eli did take advantage of those opportunities to where if you want to argue against his Hall of Fame candidacy, his his Hall of Fame legitimacy, he can or anyone advocating for him can point to that season, that playoff run. And by the way, 
some lean years in the middle. Boom, I hit you with another one. And I got rings and I'm Super Bowl MVP in both of those games. So you can look and say, oh, well, he's, you know, 117 and 117 or 118, whatever. Like, I think it was one of those, like, that, that being. 118, yeah. So you can look at that as a person who's trying to be objective. But then if you are like an advocate for him, you do have those essentially four trump cards, two Super Bowl rings, two MVPs, whereas Rivers has an AFC championship game appearance. Mm-hmm. They won ACL, lost to Tom Brady, no shame in that. But that year you won 14 and 2, your ACL wasn't torn. You just lost. Yeah, so they, before so great. before I um before I ask you the questions that I promised you I was gonna ask you. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, Got I, that I, right here, knock it out of the park. I, I have an admission to make. So we had a conversation a few weeks ago and I think I'm off the Devin Hester should be in the Hall of Fame train, you know, as I as I went back and looked at some things like obviously he had records and all that kind of stuff like that. But when I think of the other people that I think of as like great returners like Dion and people like that, they had other things where like Dion's like the best at his position, you know, potentially at, you know, um, Devin Hester didn't really impact the game you know, outside of the punt returns, kickoff returns. And I know he returned one. I know you love playoff moments. You know, he had the opening kickoff touchdown, you know, in the Super Bowl. Back in that game, and my boy's satellite went out as soon as he caught the ball. The kick, kick, matter of fact, it was the kick. Did it bounce to him? Yeah, yep. And whenever he got it in his hand, the TV goes, and yeah, so. With Colts fans, Bears fans, we've already been we we in Utah, so you know the game starts a little later. We are, you know, we've been getting at it for a couple hours, so we're like, so we're hitting every button we can, unplugging stuff. We're all avionics troops, everybody trying to unplug stuff, clean stuff out. Maybe like a minute two later, minute later, got everything back on, everything turned off, reset, popped it back on, and then the replay came on, and my boy was like, he was a Colts fan, my pops. <laughs> Yeah, so that was his playoff <laughs> moment, and and you know I am I, all I'll say about that game is I am team Dominic Rhodes should have been the Super Bowl MVP, but I understand why Peyton got it anyway. Because Reggie went right over. Steve, Steve Smith a Hall of Famer? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough, and I think the thing that's gonna make it tough for him is that. The era of passing started around his prime. Like, people were passing the ball more. But now, those numbers are astronomical. So you have guys, like we'll discuss, Torrey Holt, Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne. You have them all out there, and it's like... What do you rate them on? Do you go straight numbers? Because if you go number, I think at some point we're either going to have to go, this is the number threshold, and anyone who hits that mark from this in this time frame is in. Like, for instance, Joe Baseball does that with the 500 home runs. Yeah. Joe Namath, 50% completion rate, 
if he played from 2001 to 2012, not getting it, but he played in the 60s, that was sufficient. So Jerry Rice numbers are astronomical. T.O. numbers are over the top. Randy Moss numbers are over the top. Tony Gonzalez numbers are over the top. I think Travis Kelsey's numbers are pretty high. Gronk is like at 100 touchdowns. So these guys are like, their numbers are astronomical. So your, your standard number one wide receiver with longevity, maybe not the postseason success, is going to have to be a threshold. I think all of these guys hit a good one, but the problem is they all hit essentially the same one. So it's like, you look at it like, well, is he that much? So they, they're all around 80 touchdowns. Somewhere between 980 and 1,050 receptions, 13,000 to 14,000 yards. They played 12, 14 years. They had a few years where if they didn't have the quarterback, they had some triple-digit years, 700 yards, 600 yards, and then they get a Cam Newton. They get Andrew Luck. They get Matt Schaub, and he's kind of feeling it, and Andrew Johnson gets 13, 1,400 yards. So they all had, you know, you had Kurt Warner, Torrey Holt. They all had like the same kind of career. So if people don't think that any of them had a Hall of Fame career, then it's going to hurt all of them because all of their numbers are basically the same. So if if the consensus is Reggie Wayne is a Hall of Famer, then all four of them have an opportunity to get in. But if the consensus is Reggie Wayne isn't, then none of them are going to get in because Reggie Wayne has a ring. And Reggie Wayne, at least with uh, Andre Johnson and uh, Torrey Holt, he beats them and catches yards and touchdowns. So, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. So I but think that's that Reggie... Close. So it's, it's not like... No, I know, I know. But, yeah, but... Like what T.O. had. T.O. had like 13, 14, 1500 receptions or something crazy like that. Like him and Jason Witten had like... These guys like 13, 1400 receptions. Steve Smith, Reggie Wayne, Andrew Johnson, they all had all like right. mid, like, you know, low thousands. So check it. So check it. Just like uh, with um, Joe Namath, right? Um, I guess you had to compare him to his contemporaries. Correct. So, so the reason, one of the reasons, unfairly, I admit, one of the reasons I knocked Devin Hester off was because I looked at Steve Smith and, you know, when I went back, you know, saw that he had six combined punt return slash kickoff return touchdowns and had eight 1,000 yard seasons when he played 16 seasons, you know, so half the time he was in the league, he had 1,000 yard um, receiving seasons yard wise. And he had the 200 yard playoff game that I remember. Then I peeled it back and said, well, hell, he had Jake Delhomme as his quarterback, too, for a lot of that. You know, so I think for me, he becomes a Hall of Famer. Initially, initially, when I thought about it, if, if I didn't look at any of the numbers, I probably didn't have him as a Hall of Famer. You know, but once I pulled up the numbers, I thought that he had a case. Andre Johnson has good numbers. He led the league in receiving twice, you know, and also... Um, that's yards and receptions that he led the league in twice. And then I look back at his quarterbacks and he didn't have Jack for quarterback, you know, but at the same time, you know, that postseason success matters to me, you know, um, it's not necessarily fair because it's a team sport or whatever the case may be, 
but it matters to me. You know, when I look at Torrey Holt, you know, he he had Isaac Bruce, he had Kurt Warner, they had the greatest show on turf with Marshall Falk. So it's a little harder, you know, um, for me to make the case for him. He had 100 less catches than the rest of them. But like you said, he had Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner. So that matters, yeah. Isaac Bruce. Isaac Bruce was in the Hall of Fame. So to have that, those kind of numbers, I think it's the same thing with Reggie Wayne. So Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt, I think, are in the same boat. But like I said, it's all contingent on who votes if they vote Reggie Wayne as a Hall of Famer because we can argue back and forth I know that is this narrative that if I have to argue a career debate you're creating a Hall of Famer I think that's kind of just that's short-sighted because you should give you know people an opportunity to yeah I mean unless you unless you have an excel sheet that updates from day one you're not going to remember the numbers because I don't know if Alan Fanica was a Hall of Famer I'm not looking at what guards and centers do. So someone who does, you're going to have a conversation. Like, you're like, oh, I never hear that guy's name. Well, you don't hear offensive linemen's name unless they get called for holding or they right. go into the broadcast booth. I, I, Joe Thomas and Mark Slurf, you know, like Andrew Woodward, these guys, you don't really hear their name that often. Now, with tackles getting paid $20 million a year because quarterbacks getting paid 50 you hear about games named like David Bottiari and stuff like that. And then you hear about this tackle in the draft you want your team to get because you think it's going to make your team better because, you know, we've kind of romanticized this idea of quarterbacks. Um, but when it comes down to these wide receivers, it's a matter of if Reggie Wayne is in, then that makes the case for Torrey Holt because he's in the same boat. You had a Hall of Fame wide receiver on one side, Hall of Fame quarterback throwing that guy the ball. And you still put up numbers. Mm-hmm. B. Smith, his claim is I didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I still put up numbers that these guys had with a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing in the ball. And I'm like five foot nine. And I'm five <laughs> strong as an ox. He went to Utah. Shout out to the Utes. And then you have Andre Johnson, who he was this physical specimen. I think what knocks him is that. Other guys his size seem to have a little bit more, like their numbers are a little bigger. Just sure size. Like so, Julio. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So Julio's a Hall Julio, of Famer? Hopkins and stuff like that. I'm biased. I'm biased. I mean, at his absolute peak, he has to be. At but... His peak, but I think he just, he's had like four years, man, where he's just mm-hmm. like, Julio, Julio left Atlanta two seasons ago. So he's played three seasons, I believe, somewhere else. At least he played two. with Tennessee, then he went to Tampa. Yeah, um, and it just it just hadn't it hadn't looked the same, which is not his fault, but that does hurt you mm-hmm. run because no one's gonna look at. It's like losing in the conference finals versus losing in the finals. No one's gonna look at your conference finals record. They're going to look at the fact, like, oh, yeah, you were 12 catches, 12 catches for uh, 300 yards against Carolina, but the last two years, you've only had X number of catches. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, receiving a rush, and let's look at Julio's uh, number. What about Matthew Ice? He's not. I agree. He's not. Cam, Cam Newton. 
He's not. I agree. Um, but that's where I got confused, right? Because I was thinking about people like those two who I don't think either one are Hall of Famer. But when I was thinking about Phillip Rivers, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, those two even have an MVP that he doesn't have. Both of them made a Super Bowl that he didn't make, you know. So, I mean, I don't know. So, I was looking at this, you know, these obscure stats, trying to figure all this out. So, bear with me for a second because I'm going to read this, you know. So, Philip Rivers has the eighth highest qualified career passer rating of all time. That sounds great. But when I look at the rest of the top 20, Kirk Cousins comes in at number nine. You know, Matt Ryan is in that top 20. Chad Pennington is in that top 20. Marcus Mariota is in that top 20. Matt Schaub and the Red Rifle are in that top 20. Oh, Andy? Yeah, so so it just kind of doesn't ring the same after I add the rest of the names to it, you know? So, like, it starts out great. Like, out of all the quarterbacks that ever played when they were keeping quarterback ratings, he's number eight. And then when I look at the rest of the top 20, <laughs> it's like, if that thing said, like, you know, if, if if that thing had said, I don't know, Joe Montana or whatever, okay. Like, you know, like Steve Young, Fran Tarkenton. Yeah, something. like, you know what I mean? It makes sense, you know? <laughs> so so the only Hall of Fame I got Philip Rivers in is the knock him up Hall of Fame because I got four kids and I don't know how he do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't know how he keep doing it. You know, but but Cam Newton, I think, is interesting because of his rushing touchdowns, because he ended up with 75 rushing touchdowns. And even though he's a quarterback, he contributed to a lot of touchdowns over the years. And, you know, like I said, he has that MVP. He has that Super Bowl appearance where he didn't jump on the ball. So, you know, it's just I don't know. Like like, uh, Drew Brees did and get passed off. Yeah, you know, and you know, but I completion percentage is under sixty percent. That hurts him. And he only has five career wins. That hurts him, you know. Um, but I think that he'll be a point of conversation at some point. You know, I think we're ahead of it right now. I think in a few years, like we're gonna hear some Cam Newton noise, and fans think that he should be in the Hall of Fame. But also, um, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think. You don't think like, so? No, because if you look at aside from, because even check this out, the 2015 year. Mm-hmm. You wonder what his completion percentage was when he went 15 and one. 63. 59.8. Mm. Even his best MVP year wasn't an MVP Hall of Fame quarterback year. It's a playmaker but, year. Well, that's, that's where the Russian touchdowns come in. He's a play, yeah. So it, so that gives him a hundred and carry the two. Ooh, arithmetic! I love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, two hundred sixty nine total touchdowns. Okay. So that's a lot. I mean, you think like that? That number is pretty high. Yeah, because what was uh, Matt Ryan thirty-one touchdowns? Yeah, because we looked at Eli's. Um, Eli was near four hundred. Mm-hmm. No, three at three hundred sixty-six passing touchdowns. We figured he ran for eight over the, his career. And if but, I remember correctly, it was two hundred forty-four interceptions. Eight. He has seven rushing touchdowns, so he has 
373 total touchdowns, 244 interceptions. Um, I don't see fumble loss stats. But see, Eli's interesting. Like, if he only had one Super Bowl, it would be really, really interesting. But I think the second Super Bowl gets him in. You know, um, I think it just does. But I can't think of too many. Eli Manning. His name was Eliza, Eliza Nelson Manning. This is a guy in my office. And like I said, I like Eli. I think I think in the Peyton, I think they're cool. I think they're cool on TV. But I think just by default, he I don't if he first I don't I mean I guess this is a matter of your first ballot or not, because I think that I think the ballot number is is a little ridiculous. Well well, real quick before we wrap this up. You know, I think the ballot becomes important in baseball because, you know, there was the whole Scott Rowland thing where the first year he was eligible, he got 10 percent. And then all of a sudden, you know, was it is it year six now? He's the Hall of Famer. And so how did he go from home runs? How did he go from 10 percent to 75 percent? Well, per um, a guy we, we like, I like to watch firstly, Rob Parker and the odd couple. What he said, and you know, this is his word. What happens is the veterans committee they're voting guys in on the back end. In any opportunity to get, they think a guy is a hall of famer, and the writers don't. The veterans committees gets them in, but then because they're limited to ten players, writers will not vote for a guy in order to get their other ten votes in. And then as they dwindle off, now they're like, okay, now I have an opportunity to vote for this person. Mm-hmm. And you Every year your buzz grows, so you go from 10% to 33, but people start looking, and then those people who look, you go from 33 to 45. Now another batch of people start looking at you, you go from 45 to 60, and it's like, whoa. Let me re, let me reinvestigate Scott <laughs> reinvest you know his impact and then they get their new ballot and there's only seven names they like but they're like you know what as I you know I looked at Scott Rowland's numbers again boom and they they put him in and the number goes up so I think the number of I think they got to get rid of the quota mm-hmm. and then just literally just put you in. And if you are Hall of Famer when you retire and they know it, just Kobe it. They put Kobe, they're like, you know what, Granny, you know, he passed away, rest in peace. They're like, this dude's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know he just retired, put him in. Because it's a no-brainer. It's a it's it should be a no-brainer conversation. If I if you have a guy from like the 70s or 80s and the veterans committee is getting him in. And like he's known within the circles of baseball, like yo, this guy was a player. He needs to get in, but he just wasn't. He didn't have a lot of notoriety with the writers. I can get that, but I don't think the writers are that oblivious to great players. No, and I think that they take their vote very seriously. You know, as opposed to say a Heisman voter who, you know, I think I don't know how. Or player vote. Yeah, like I don't know how much football the Heisman voters actually watch, especially when you have to keep up with 131 teams or whatever the case may be. So yeah, you just pick the best four quarterbacks and then maybe a defensive end who's had 
the greatest season in college defense history, and then you still give it to a quarterback who throws it to nothing but five star wide receivers. Every once in every once in a while, Heisman really hits it on the head, and they give it to like they didn't give it to Mac Jones when Devontae Smith was clearly the reason Mac Jones had X number of touchdowns. Whereas in the NFL, the MVP will go to Aaron Rodgers because he's throwing it to Devontae Adams, and now Devontae Adams leaves, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw any game above 270 yards. But we're not going to talk about that this week. Did I hear? So, did I hear it right that this man's name is Michael McCorkle Jones? <laughs> anyway, what you got on your chest, bro? Oh man, I just mentioned his name. My, my guy, Rob Parker. Rob Parker. He and a couple of different pundits on Fox, Skip Bayless being one of them. I like them. I, I like I like what they bring to the table. What I don't like is when they I don't even say that when they put the blinders on is when they put the blockers on. And they're like, I don't want to see what just occurred in front of me, which is negative to them or positive for anyone else. If Tim Tebow had a 48% completion percentage, you're allowed to say he needs to work on his accuracy. There's nothing wrong with that. He'll argue, oh, he's a winner. All he does is win. Well, he went two for eight. He threw a touchdown in the game, and they won the game 10-7. to seven. But he went two for eight, and Eric Decker just happened to get loose down the sideline. That's not a winner. That's just dude who completed two passes. Like, I mean, let's be realistic. So, Rob Parker, Chris Bouchard, and the I couple, I couple I watched them earlier today. They, you, you alluded to it earlier, they called Mahomes Jordan S. And I get it. Jordan's a verb now, you know, or an adjective, however you want to describe it. Oh, he's, he's Jordan him, or he's Mossing him, or he's Jordan S. And like, they, they, they want to bestow his accolades on players. And I get it. And sometimes it can be premature. Patrick Mahomes started five seasons. He has one MVP, two Super Bowl appearances, five consecutive AFC Championship appearances, three now three Super Bowl appearances. You know, he's working on his second Super Bowl victory or second Super Bowl loss, whatever the case may be. But he's had an outstanding career. He threw, he threw 50 touchdowns a year. He got the one MVP. This year he went 41 touchdowns, 12 picks. People mention the 12 picks as if multiple quarterbacks didn't also throw double digits. Oh, he threw 12 interceptions. Yeah, but so did Dak and so did – Kirk Cousins and so did Derek Carr. Like a lot of these guys do double digit interceptions, but he also they don't run the ball a lot in Kansas City. But he goes out in the game against Cincinnati in the cold, bad ankle. We all saw the high ankle sprain. We've seen him barely able to make the stretch plays. And Chris Bussard was saying, I think it was Jordan's. He he compared it to Jordan's flu game against that he had against Utah. Rob Parker chimed in. He was like. If you thought he was Jordan Ness, you would have picked him because Chris Broussard picked Cincinnati. I mean, if you're realistic, you have a guy with a high ankle sprain and another team coming in hot. They beat the other favorite Super Bowl team. They haven't lost a game since Halloween. That's just basic picking with your logic that you've understood as, a, as an analyst of sport. 
I'm going to pick Cincinnati if they're a hot team. And the other quarterback, I think, is better than the Cincinnati quarterback, but he's hobbled. You need both of your feet to get away from pass rush. So he picked Cincinnati. So Rob Parker goes, and he was like, oh, well, Patrick Mahomes in the second half had 161 yards passing and one touchdown and one turnover. I mean, I just didn't see anything special. And and on that, in the fourth quarter, he went six for 10 for 53 yards. And then on that last drive, yeah, he, he only moved them 11 yards until they got the 15-yard penalty. I'm like, he moved them 11 yards, got the penalty. The kicker came in and kicked a 45-yard field goal, and they're going to the Super Bowl. So he like he dismisses the numbers, saying the numbers don't matter. Well, let's do some simple math. Patrick Mahomes threw for 326 yards, two touchdowns, and one turnover. So the second half, where he threw for 161 yards and one touchdown. And the first half, he threw for 165 yards and one touchdown. So the numbers are exactly the same, but the way he uses it and the context he puts in it, he makes it seem as if, oh, well, the defense did it all and, like, the quarterback gets too much credit, and that's the problem because defense did this. Defense got the sack. I'm like, I get you can give the defense credit for the way they play, and also give Patrick Mahomes credit for the way he plays. Conversely, they started. They talked about the NFC Championship game. Jalen Hurts, Eagles versus the 49ers, and Brock Purdy. They knocked Brock Purdy out of the game. The pass rush is relentless in Philly. They ran the ball a lot. I think Jalen Hurts only threw for 121 yards. Rob Parker's statement was, well, you know, the numbers don't tell the whole story, you know, because he did everything he was supposed to do and what they asked him to do, because, you know, the numbers, the numbers aren't everything. This is the same day, same type of conversation. This is the same hypocrisy that I don't understand. And this is the reason that we have this show. I can't use another word other than being hypocritical. He will talk about Aaron Rodgers as if Aaron Rodgers has been missing opportunities to make the playoffs. Instead of saying every single time he's in the playoffs since he's won the Super Bowl, he has not gotten it done since 2010. We've had a few presidents since then. I grew up and I had some kids since then. I got gray hairs in my beard since then. Like It's been a long time. And it's nothing wrong saying, you know what? He won a Super Bowl a long time ago, and he's won a couple MVPs back-to-back. That's a good career, but he tries to quantify and justify and rationalize his coming up short at home in the playoffs year in and year out, year in and year out. He came up short against the, the, the Falcons badly, and Tom Brady beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl, but he won't give Tom Brady any credit. So now that Patrick Mahomes is on this path to be the new Tom Brady, the, the guy that people praise a lot, and I get that he doesn't want to give he doesn't want to give blanket credit to guys. But when it comes down to it, if someone walked up to you and you asked for $5 and they gave you five $1 bills, you can't complain that they didn't give you a crispy $5 bill. They gave you $5 that you asked for. You want a guy to win the game. You want a guy to go out there and grit it out. He's trying to say his ankle looked good to me. How do you, you can't tell his ankle looked good? Skip Bailey said the same thing. He's like, I think that ankle is about 80%. Shannon was like, how, you, how can you tell that? He was like, I can just tell it. Shannon was like, I need a new TV. Because when you're not speaking with facts, when you're speaking with this conjecture and this nonsense, you come off as hypocritical. And it's fine. I'm not saying he's a hypocrite all the time. But in regards to how he speaks about Patrick Mahomes, especially in this game, because if Joe Burrow would have gotten the ball back, 
after Patrick Mahomes threw a bad interception late in the fourth quarter, the conversation wouldn't be about how Joe Burrow barely got it done in the fourth quarter. It would be about how this guy rises up to the moment. Why can't the guy who's been through now three Super Bowls, one MVP, five straight AFC championship games, why does he have to have a caveat for his success? That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, say that hot fire. All right. We tagging Rob Parker in that too. You know what I'm saying? Tagging him on Twitter. Hey, but I do love you, Rob Parker. Like, we always trying to start beef with people. First was Easy Money Sniper, then it was Ed Reed. Now, you know, coming at Rob Parker. I'm just trying to be a podcast host here, you know, but, you know. He knows I'm right. <laughs> he knows, like, listen, it's not it's not me taking a shot at him. It's me taking a shot at the way they analyze certain players. Right, and I got you. As their favorite players. Shannon Sharp, you can't say LeBron did anything wrong. LeBron tied his shoes one way. You'll talk about how great LeBron tied his shoes that day. Did you I see ain't going to lie. LeBron do look like he'd be struggling when he tied his shoes. Yes, man. We up there. <laughs> you know what it feels like that the bend over, keep tying your shoes. Man, he's like, guys. He played with these people's dads. Yeah, I know. All right, so look. So as you can see, I am in my Florida State gear today. And I want everybody to know that a Florida State is 3-8 and eight and go into the swamp and play against a 3-8 and eight Gators team. That's going to be the best three and eight matchup you've ever seen because both teams going to have that fire. They're going to want to beat each other down, in-state rivalry, hate each other, all that good stuff. As a Commander fan and Raph as a Saints, or I'm sorry, as a Falcon fan, ooh, I almost messed that one up. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, you know, if we play the Cowboys and they play the Saints, it's flat out war. You know, not Kellen Winslow style now. Don't come at me now. But it's war. So why is it that I can't find these type of feelings and rivalries and emotions in the NBA? You know, so I go back to the 80s. I'm an 80s baby. You know, Lakers Celtics was the big thing. And the NBA got lucky that Boston and L.A. were good at the same time. Like, granted, you had Magic and Bird contributing to that. But the NBA started marketing players versus teams. So why on January 31st, year of our Lord, 2023, should I even care that the Lakers and the Knicks were playing in Madison Square Garden tonight? I ain't got a reason to care. I watched Boston and L.A. the other night and referees be damned. I still love watching Lakers Celtics. But that's about the only game in the NBA that I care about on that level. I love basketball, so I watch basketball because it's there. But there's no other game in the league that I get what I get from watching Lakers Celtics. Now, I know the old timers, my uncles and them, they'll tell me, oh, Philly and New York, Philly and Boston, New York and Boston. Well, I don't see it today. All I hear about is how the league has evolved. The players are better. They jump higher. They run faster, all that kind of stuff. Where the robberies at? They've devolved. People don't really care about the NBA. Maybe it's because of the length of the season. People don't care until after All-Star break. But by then, there's only about 25 to 30 games left. 
But there's no game that I look at on the schedule besides Boston and L.A. and say that's must-see TV from the standpoint of I know this is going to be a great game. I look at it and I might say, oh, man, Giannis and Luka, you know, or Joker and Embiid tonight. But they ain't always going to be there. These teams ain't always going to be good. So NBA, please, I know y'all tried this rivalry week thing last week. It sucked. There are no rivalries. I need these. And maybe free agency has something to do with that. But do Pistons fans still hate the Lakers? Do they still, you know, is that still a thing? When they play each other, is that heated? Is that like, oh, I want to beat these guys so bad? I doubt it. So what I wanted to get off my chest is that rivalry and competitive fire is what makes sports what it is and is what makes us love them. In NBA, you just got a problem that you need to fix. You know, I don't think your popularity is going to wane. I don't think you're going to go out of business or anything like that. But just make us care a little bit more outside of finding that these two players are playing against each other. Because what am I supposed to do if Sacramento is playing against Orlando? Like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be like, oh, I guess I could watch Paulo Bancaro tonight? Or, you know, De'Aaron Fox can't even get more votes than Austin Reeves for the All-Star game. You know, make (laughs) me care. I just want to care. That's all it is. I just want to care. I have a big heart, and I just want to care about the rivalry. Give me my rivalry. That's all I had to get off my chest. I just want the rivalries, man. That's all I want. That's all he wants. And all we want you guys to do is like, subscribe, comment. Uh, get hit us up. Like I say, ML Dub on Instagram. You can hit me, hit us directly on our Sports Reports is Order Instagram page. You can comment. We're going to have the Facebook page up and running here pretty soon. So, like, I mean, we're, we're just making moves. We just want you guys to participate in this as much as you can. And hopefully you enjoy it as much as we do. I mean, we probably talk about this for an hour or so before we film. We're texting all day long at work. You know, luckily being retirees, we get. Got a nice little contractor gigs where we have time and downtime, which, you know, you're thankful for that. So it's like just being able to have someone you can, you know, fellowship with and someone you can connect with, with sports and then we can share it out with people. And then, like I said, shout out to my Jennifer Fashana on her page and everybody else that, you know, takes the opportunity to share it. Like people in my office who don't even like sports, I appreciate you subscribing to Spotify yes. and podcasts and youtube and telling your friends about that this crazy guy in your office that talks about sports we all appreciate it um and and that's all you know we just like i said it's it's all love it's it's, it's, a, it's a lovely opportunity to be able to to share this vision and share what we have and share this passion with everybody and you know like i said just thankful humble Every view we get, it's, 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 I get a text message. Oh, man, we have the 101. <laughs> we just grabbed 52 downloads. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's not something that we take lightly. Um, there's preparation involved. It, it's, it's time taken. And we appreciate the time that you all take to, to participate in our, in, in our passion. So, you know, from, from me, Mike, thank you. Uh, Mike's going to send us out. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on Friday. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Please comment. I will talk to you. You know, you can find me on Instagram at mldub25. You know, I will follow back. You can find me on Twitter at 2BitReports. So I will get at you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody that watched. 
Thank you, especially Green River in Oregon City. Shout out the Red Bull. Shout out the Ryan Clark and shout out the Danny Cannell. You know, we love y'all, America, and we'll see you on Friday. Shout out to Rob Parker. <laughs> we out. <laughs>